Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. And Julie, it is March the 25th. You know, I have to say, Karen, who works for us, who I know happens to be listening to this right now, she's oh, in good. the Philippines. Yes. Mm-hmm. So hello, Karen. She saved our bacon yesterday because I sent her the wrong audio file. Uh-oh. Yep. And had we not been starting every podcast with a date, they would have heard a replay from the 22nd of March. That's, thank you, Karen, for being on top of it. Yeah. So good job, Karen. <laughs> she so, saved my bacon one day. With the first time we were here and the time changed. And I was ready for premier coaching. I'm like, where is everybody? Because I didn't know that half the year we changed and half the year we didn't. Well, it never occurred to me to check. Well, here's it. Well, let me <laughs> let me give you a little bit of color on that, or the listeners a little color on that. So we live in Puerto Rico, and we used we've lived all over in every time zone in the mainland. But in Puerto Rico, there's this extra time zone called Atlantic Standard Time, which I had never heard of before. An hour ahead of East Coast. Yeah, or another way Sometimes. of thinking of it. Right, <laughs> so four hours ahead of Pacific. Right, so for a few months of the year, we're four hours ahead of the Pacific. It's totally confusing. It's massively confusing, and I had no idea until one day I tried to show up for our premier coaching session, and I was the only one there, which never <laughs> happens. And of course, you know, you try to be on time, and you have it in your schedule, and you've done it five thousand times before. So I immediately went into, "What in the world is happening? Who didn't schedule this link right for me?" You know, like. <laughs> Couldn't have been my fault. <laughs> and uh, then, and so I'm hunting down assistance to fix this. And Karen very calmly said, well, you know you're in Atlantic Standard Time, right? You're like, <laughs> you're an hour like, early. <laughs> did, you, had, did you even know what it was until that moment? No. no. And then, so then she explained it to me from the Philippines. Okay. <laughs> and then I remember that day I tried to explain it to you and you were like, no, that can't be right. <laughs> so here we are. Well, there, there's, there's yet another thing we didn't know when we moved here, by the way. Seriously. <laughs> anyway. research is time oh, zones. We have a great topic for you guys today. Um, and you're going to love this topic. I promise you it's going to be something you'll be able to use for your clients. But I want to tell you something else. What? Okay. I heard yesterday, and I want to know mm-hmm. if you heard this, okay. that over in DBE, there was uh-huh. a 12-foot alligator. Seriously. No, I didn't know that. that, was in a, that? It was in a pond on the golf course. I okay now I saw a picture of a caiman I don't which is like a small alligator I guess our Florida clients can clear us up on this um I don't know if it was 12 feet maybe oh, this has become so a tall tale di- I don't know this I don't is, know this maybe. is the difference you saw the picture and evidence yes somebody told me something so I bet you're right I don't know that's something to investigate we will <laughs> on our on our big six mile walk to this afternoon we will get the intel that's right but I'll tell you one thing I'm not going to go that close to the pond no, that's yet another reason not to play golf. Exactly. There you go. Built in. That was my takeaway Something's from that. Something's going to eat you. Yeah. Okay. So listen, we have been getting a By lot. By the way, this is not the Sunday show. No. So we've been getting a lot of uh, drama, hype, fear, and panic about the market crashing. Um, we talked a little bit about this uh, the other day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, the hypesters, the people that are creating this you know, loath, fear and loathing in the marketplace, are all trying to sell you guys something. And there's been some email, there's some uh, Facebook groups, there's Clubhouse, there's 
um, you know, there's a guy YouTube. that's YouTube videos, emails going around. You know, all these prognosticators are saying the real estate markets are, cra- are going to crash. All you dummies in real estate have no idea what's about to hit you. We're, it, you know, the locusts are forming on the horizon and the world's Just like gonna... 2006. Right. So a never-ending avalanche of that garbage. And why are they doing it? And, um, you know, what's their motivation? That's really the question you guys – well, here's the solution. Just ignore the news and ignore all forms of media because most definitely it's trying to manipulate you to think one way or the other. But let's just say you can't or you choose not to be that radical with your approach to your intellectual intake. Um, I have uh, had a lot of people, like I said, sending me this stuff, asking for our opinions on it. Um, but Julie and I use this little-known thing called a fact – and so we actually know that when we watch these videos and read these things, why uh, they're basically lying or making up numbers or they're hedging their statements in such a way that no one could accuse them of lying. But if you read what they actually wrote, it clearly was intended to make you believe something that wasn't true, a.k.a., you know, it's called a lie. So what we're going to do today, and we're probably going to do this tomorrow, is we're going to break down the top – how many points did I come up with? Ten. Wow, that was concise. Yep. The top ten reasons why there's no chance there's any real estate crash – or correction on the horizon. And I want you guys to use this for A, yourself, your own you know, educational edification. And I also want you to use this for the sake of educating your consumers. And if you are you know, making content yourself, feel free to also use this content for educating your, um, your marketplace and all the rest of it. Because the problem is, is if you start believing that tomorrow is not going to be as good as today, you stop working today. And that's ultimately what happens when you have fear. So when you start uh, intaking information that makes you think that tomorrow is going to be hard times, you don't do anything that would have uh, been counter to that today. You stop doing the things necessary to take care of yourself in the future. And that lack of activity actually compounds faster than you possibly think. And I'll just make this very practical for you guys. So real estate, how long does it take on average for you to make a contact, have initial contact with a seller primarily, and then to get paid? And this is a wonderful market. You're probably looking at 90 to 120 days. Uh-uh, Tam, things sell a lot faster. They don't close a lot faster, right? So let's just say 60 to 90 days, and let's just agree somewhere in there, right? So you make a contact with the seller today. Then you know then you have a listing appointment. Then they decide to list with you. You guys get the gist of it. You get the listing. It sells in 22 seconds because of this market, and then you're going to get paid 60 to 90 days from now, something like that. Well, if you're not doing positive activities that are going to lead to those paychecks 90 days from now, I promise you the future version of you is going to be thinking the past version of you should not be watching those doom and gloom videos. That's exactly right. And furthermore, you could also be ruining it for any potential clients when you believe that, when they give you the slightest little question like, gosh, kind of nervous about maybe feeling like I'm overpaying. Isn't the market going to correct soon? And then you agree with that and you find a little morsel of alleged evidence to back you up. Not only have you screwed up your own trajectory, but you've also screwed it up for that potential prospect who would have been better off buying the house that they intended to buy. There are a lot of people that have motivations, hidden agendas to uh, make people believe the U.S. economy and you in housing are going to suffer. There are a lot. I'll give you an example. The video I got yesterday or day before yesterday which was very nicely done, giving all kinds of doom and gloom facts and statistics, most of which were totally made up. And I then spent a little, it didn't take me long, 10 minutes or less, to figure out who actually produced the video. And then I found out the person producing the video, and I mentioned this to you guys yesterday, was somebody that was selling prepper goods. So this guy was making a whole bunch of videos trying to scare people into buying prepper goods. And by prepper goods, I mean massive 50-gallon containers of beans. 
You know, things that you'd want like to have. Preparation for an apocalypse type of exactly. thing. Exactly. Like Face stuff. masks, yeah. plastic, duct tape, you know, all these Tablets things. Tablets to purify your water. And completely, right? And, you know, backpacks in case you have to bug out. You know, he was trying to sell backpacks for like $1,000 each and kids' backpacks were, you know, $50 each. And everyone, the idea is that when the apocalypse happens, everyone's going to backpack out of their hometown to go where? Well, exactly go where? I mean, I have you guys ever thought, have you ever seen the movie The Road? Who wrote that? Uh, uh, McCormick. Yeah. Scary as hell movie. Interesting book. But like you leave your town and things get worse. I mean, so just anyway, we're digressing. (laughs) So in these dystopian futures that these people like to try to paint to scare you into, you know, buying crap that you'll never use, but will make nice rat food sometime in the future. (laughs) The reality of it is, is their agenda is to cause you to go into a state of fear. You allowed yourself to slide into a state of fear. You then stop doing the things that are necessary to help people and help yourself. And that's what he actually was doing, but how he presented in the doom and gloom video was on the premise of being an economist. Yeah, which was quite yeah, totally. And actually, you know, I, I didn't, I think I closed the window. That is hilarious. A he of did. Coaching clients have asked me uh, to share that just out of curiosity. No, I'm not going but, to. But I, I'm like, just let it go. Just no. know that this stuff is out there because, in fact, that's not the only video that's been floating you're, around. You're right. And the title of the, the website made it sound completely and totally legitimate. And the word economist was actually in the title. Yes. Anyway, so here are Julie and I's counterpunches to all these people that are trying to scare you guys to yeah. live out the final days on planet Earth underneath your staircase eating your well, baked beans. And I, I think there's another point to this, too, which is the person who originally sent this to us is a smart person. Definitely. And, you know, it's easy to, especially when something has good production quality and you're just kind of scanning through your newsfeed or whatever, it's easy to be drawn in by something like that initially. You have to remember if you're even going to watch some crap like that. To follow the breadcrumbs and know what you're actually watching or just hit delete. Yeah, okay? just hit delete. And that's that, okay too. Well, I, you know, bottom line, be media free. That's one of the things we suggest to all of you. If you guys don't like the way you're feeling, you don't like the way you're thinking, the first thing to do is stop input. Assume all input sources you have are negative, except this podcast, of course. That's right. And actually, the person that sent us this uh, meant well because he was saying, you know what? This is floating around out there. Maybe this is something no, we need no, to look at. No, or, no, you know. no. He sent it to me because he believed it. Did he really? And he didn't okay. do the homework on it. Because he didn't do the research, he which would be homework. easy to do. So right. just hit delete. Just say skip it. So here is basically the bottom line. And we're going to give you these 10 points. I haven't come up with a snappy title for this uh, podcast, but let's call it why there is no housing dystopia. On the, Zombie in, in, apocalypse. Exactly. On the no. All right. So point number one, I'll do the first one, Joel, okay. since it's poorly written and you don't have to translate my That's chicken okay. scratches. Point number one, rates are going up. <gasps> oh, God. Oh, no. But they're still at historic lows. And with regardless of the rates going up, guess what also is happening? Applications to purchase also went up as well. Yes. So all these guys are saying the whole market, the whole market is in a bubble. It's all predicated on low rates. That's not true, and we're going to explain that in point number two. But the most important thing is, before we get to point number two, interest rates, of course, do have an effect on buying and selling real and, and real estate. And the whole market has a lot to do with, obviously, people's ability to obtain a mortgage. But the, if rates were to go up, and the, and the uh, rate of inf, uh, inflation or appreciation, whatever you want to call it, for housing were to slow down, that is not necessarily a bad thing. Because then we could start getting out of this extremely insane seller's market that's basically decimating the buyer agent business model. I listened to yesterday's podcast about that. Um, and then we can return to some sort of, you know, maybe start pivoting back towards some sort of equilibrium in the market. But that's a very long path. I mean, it's three think, to five years. Yeah. I mean, think about, oh, no, tomorrow you wake up and there's 20% more inventory. 
that's going to burn off. Don't you step know, on my quick. points, lady. Okay. All right. Point number two. Demographics. So by demographics, that's, you know, how many people in each generation and what are their buying and selling habits. So the demographics show us that between the millennial population and the general Gen Z, which comes after the millennials, the, the people who are in their 20s, getting out of college, starting to buy houses, family formation. These are huge generations, and they're all hi- obviously highly motivated to be purchasing. Well, so it's millennial. So it's the youngest is the Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the millennials, and obviously then the ba- the the our generation, which no one yeah. gives a rat's ass about, no. Gen X. We're and then there's small. the and then right, and then there's the uh, baby boomers, and there's mm-hmm. three waves of the baby boomers. Okay, mm-hmm. so the oldest wave of the baby boomers, those people are now in their 60s, and now they're starting to downsize. What am, you're shaking your head? Did I get that wrong? The oldest, they're they're in like their mid 70s now and then you've your got, parents aren't baby boomers they're, they're too they're, old they're, so they're uh, in the 60s world war ii whatever right your parent you're, yeah you're right we're on the same page we're Basically. saying the same thing yeah. yeah so there's three waves of the baby boomers the largest wave of the baby boomer baby boomer population or demographic is the youngest group and the youngest group right now they're still spending money they're still buying houses they're still buying luxury houses yes. they're still buying you know their on third, the ascension exactly Golf on the ascension stuff. willing to spend the money and then if you go downrange, you have people that are Gen Xers. And that's what Julie and I are. And Gen Xers now are entering into their peak earning years. And here's something you're going to find interesting. Most people don't earn. The, their peak earning is actually much later than life than what you'd uh, believe from, uh, certainly from uh, Instagram. Most people don't start earning the, their peak income until they're in their 40s, into their 50s, and sometimes into their early 60s. Why? Well, because in life, it actually takes a long time to actually good, get good enough at something that you're going to have accumulated enough money, right? Yes. Or you're going to basically have enough income because you've justified to the world that you're worth being paid a lot. And also the thing that happens at that point, if you've been relatively disciplined with your income, you've actually accumulated some meaningful net worth. And so the the Gen Xers, even though we're a lot smaller of a demo than everyone that came before us, and certainly the generations that are coming after, we are still in our peak earning and spending years. And so you're going to see a lot of that same type of market gyrations and, and the move up ranges and the, and the third and fourth and fifth move up houses. Then underneath that, you're going to have the millennials. And the millennials are bigger by total number than all three waves of baby boomers combined. Yes. And that's something that's extraordinary. And those guys are, in some cases, like, I think they're like in their mid-30s, the oldest group of them. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And maybe even a little older now. I only, I only grimace and make funny faces to this because I'm having flashbacks to my uh, continuing ed in Texas. Where oh. These were actually like the generation ranges and ages because, as it relates to real estate was actually on the test. And I, and I know my stuff, you know, it's easy to learn this. And I kept on missing that question. I'm like, how can I be off on this? And then I looked and the textbook was written in the nineties. <laughs> so it had aged, you know, like yeah. had I, I had to answer the question said in the nineties to be correct, right. which is demented, but yeah. whatever. Yeah, anyway, well, so if I, if I look like I'm having some kind of mental pain over this. You look like you were having a little mini stroke, but that's okay. <laughs> that's just funny. Yeah. But the, the, so what is the point of studying demographics? Well, it's all about supply and demand, isn't it? Well, exactly. And that's really the point here. But just understand the biggest uh, movement in real estate is now. And this is all from demographics. So when you look at why are houses selling for so much and why are they, you know, increasing in cost so much, you can say interest rates. And like I said, there's definitely something to that, but it's demographics because houses still sell when when interest rates are higher. They will still sell because people want to, you know, buy and sell real estate. And yeah, that's- and by the way, if I, let's say that we get all the way to, oh, no, 4% interest. That's still not a high interest rate, guys. People no. still buy and sell. 
because their desire doesn't change with the interest rate. When Julie and I were 22 and 23 and we bought our first property, that was 7%. Yeah, and everybody was saying, boy, you better get in now while the rates are low. Right, exactly. Yeah. And we still bought the house because what's happened now, just from strictly from an interest rate perspective, where are you going to watch if you guys want to analyze this, is when a local, if you can rent a house for the same payment as that house would have cost, that would cost in terms of a, a mortgage payment with say 10% down. If those numbers are, are, are equal, then you have a slight little problem with possibly rents being too high or you know something's up with the market. Because if someone can say, I can rent this house for the same amount that this house would cost me, they're maybe more inclined to rent than they will to be buying the house because it doesn't necessarily uh, save them any real money. I know that's not perfect logic because you're not taking into account potential appreciation, but you're not taking into account the upkeep and uh, maintenance and the taxes on the house. So sure. ultimately, if it costs the same to rent as it does to own, people will choose to rent. Financially, that's a much better decision, but that isn't what's going on right now. Right now, it is much cheaper to own in every market than it is to rent, and rents are continuing to increase. And that's one of the many reasons why Julie and I are, we own dozens and dozens of rental properties, but if we had to do it all over again, we'd own none, probably, I mean, virtually none. Yeah. We, we wouldn't. We probably would keep some that we got good deals on or right. used our guaranteed sale on, but we but wouldn't be actively pursuing them. What we would be pursuing in earnest is definitely uh, working with EXP and building our EXP revenue share. And that would create more financial freedom faster than owning a bunch of rental properties. Massively faster. Yeah, it's ridiculous, really. Yeah. If you guys want to talk to us about that, if you're interested in EXP, if you're on the road to joining EXP and you're looking for the right sponsor, we would like to formally apply for the job of being your sponsor at EXP. Please feel free to text me directly at 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. So point number two was demographics. Bottom line is there are massive massive, unprecedented, historical waves of humans that are wanting to buy and sell real estate. That's what's going to keep the market ridiculously hot, even if rates increase. Um, all right, now here's the thing, point number three. Do you understand what I meant with this? Savings rates, uh, one trillion. Talk about that a little bit. Okay, so there's more individuals post-COVID, well, I mean, post the advent of COVID, are um, there's more money saved right now in people's pockets than in the history of America. There's over $1 trillion that people have accumulated in personal savings. Um, as a re- I think personally it's as a result of COVID because people are reacting uh wanting to have more financial security. So they started saving money. Everyone says it's because people couldn't go out and spend money and go to restaurants and everything. I really don't believe that's true. It takes a while to get to a trillion off that. Yeah. I mean, how many restaurants do you have to go to? Uh, All of them all the time. (laughs) Uh, Now, do you know whether that trillion was based on just savings? Because I read Personal savings. Okay. Because we're not- Not equity. Yeah. We're not even talking about equity. Yeah. We're not talking about equity. Even massively more. Yeah. People save money, basically. And I, I think, remember how your grandma used to, you know, she would, after she was a- uh, a depression era kid, right? Mm-hmm. And they were, uh, you know, they learned to save canned goods and rubber bands and yeah. newspapers. They didn't just save money. They saved everything. They saved everything yeah. because those things had value. I mm-hmm. mean, if she, sure. I remember when we were helping clean out her house, she had so much aluminum foil and all this different stuff saved because that stuff had marketable value. Right. But it's only because she came out of the emotional shock of the Great Depression and that Great Depression, that money didn't have so much value, but ask, stuff did stuff. that you could trade for. And so that's the reason that, in, you know, until she was almost 100 years old, she still accumulated all that stuff because her hardwired had, her hardwiring had been changed. Her DNA was effectively changed to be always a little bit fearful of what the unknown was because she lived through the greatest, you know, black swan event in human history, basically. 
Um, and so a lot of you guys now have. This has the, been the third worst pandemic in the history of humanity. Did you know that? So the third worst uh, pandemic we've all lived through, that is forever going to change people's behaviors and cause them to want to save more money. And that's exactly what's going on. Point number four, then, Julie, let's level off. Yep. Point number four, massive migration away from cities. This is a mega trend. Those of you guys who live in places like Manhattan and San Francisco are very clear on this. Those were the two uh, negative markets. I've been reading a lot of different stats on this. So lots of migration. And, you know, all you have to do is talk to your friends in the middle of the country to know that this is true. We've got coaching clients in places like Paducah, Kentucky, where where average days in the market is virtually nothing with multiple offers. Well, I mean, who was it? We talked to that guy yesterday on our club out. Missouri, right? Mm-hmm. He was in this rural community in Missouri. And the average days in the market was like measured in, you know, milliseconds. Yeah. yeah. And so all across. The, now, so you got to ask yourself, are you telling me, Tim, someone from the Upper East Side of Manhattan is moving to M- Missouri? No, I am not. What I'm saying is someone in Missouri wants to basically buy their first house. So they want to downsize because of the demographics, getting back to point number two. So to say, well, these big you know, movements in these cursory markets, like where Julie and I bought our little cabin in Murphy, North Carolina. And Murphy, North Carolina looked in the realtor.com yesterday, did mm-hmm. I tell you? Basically, everything sold. Everything sold. And Murphy was one of those markets where it's always people's second home, third home. It was, it's like two hours from- You have from, to work to get there. You have to want to get there. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then once you're even close, then you have to want it even more. Uh, yeah, exactly. It gets, it gets even more perilous, but yeah. it's a beautiful place. It is. For sure. Those of you in that part of the world, you're very lucky. Yeah. But the moral of the story is even markets like that have taken off. Now, why? You could blame some of the people moving out of the big, densely uh, dense cities, but that's not the whole story. The whole story is there are people that have wanted to live in Murphy, who wanted to live in that type of environment, that have already lived, maybe they lived in Atlanta that was two hours away, and they you know, have always wanted to move up there. So they decide they weren't escaping the city. This is this isn't part of that macro trend. It was just people moving their path forward because that's what they're going to do anyway. They're at the age and have the financial wherewithal to do it. Again, demographic waves. You guys have to have the visualization that you're standing on a beach with Julie and I here in Puerto Rico, and you're watching wave after wave after wave come in. And what we're seeing is the first wave is smaller than the second wave. Uh, yeah, smaller than the second wave, and the big waves that we can see forming way out on the horizon. They're bigger than all the uh, the previous waves combined. That's what we're experiencing. That's what's called a demographic-led uh, real estate Shift. market uh, explosion. And, and I, I think that that was probably heightened by COVID because everybody became a lot more comfortable doing everything online. People were forced to adapt faster to technology, like being on Zoom calls all the time. I think that that probably ignited that flame a little bit. You know what? You're actually. Are you talking my, about my next point? I didn't oh yes, you are. It's yet. okay. Uh, no, that's funny. No, that, <laughs> are we here? Yeah, we're here. Yeah. Okay. Point number five. We really do share a brain, Julie. That's kind of scary. Point number five. Massive migration fueled by pandemic and most importantly, a tech. A con, uh, con, connectivity, connectivity explosion. You read my letter. Yeah. Connectivity explosion. We're talking about 5G. We're talking about Starlink. And that's a mega, uh, uh, you know, a mega trend. Let's work this backwards so we can unrattle, uh, unrattle, uh, ravel? Ravel. Unravel. This is for you. Okay. So Starlink is a satellite system that Elon Musk is spearheading basically at this point. He put a bunch of money in an existing company. He didn't start this, just for the record. And they're launching satellites that are going to basically be a web all over the world. 
Now, what's that going to do? And supposedly this is going to be faster connect, uh, upload and download speeds, faster connectivity than is currently available even using like fiber. So this is going to make 5G look like it was yesterday's technology. That's what the promise is. And even here in Puerto Rico, they're going to have this available next year. And they're little satellites. So it's satellites communicating with, um, I'm sorry, little uh, dishes communicating with satellites. It's going to uh, provide high-speed internet to the farthest reaching corners of the world, which means like everyone likes to say, well, that means the, you know, the desert plain areas in Africa have connectivity. Yep, that's true. So all over the world, they're going to have connectivity. But what it really means and how it's relevant to most of you is you're going to have um, maybe areas in your own state that have been for before it's been too far reaching and people didn't want to go there because there's no cell tower, cell tower connection, let alone their ability to work there and being able to get online. All that's changing. Yep. So what's that going to do to property values in an area like Murphy, North Carolina? What's it going to do to an area that maybe is like, an, uh, that again, is the, one More of these... More of sec- a bedroom community that yeah. you felt like you had to commute because you had to get reconnected or whatever. So those communities are already being uh, definitely gobbled up. But it's it's even more expansive. What if there are people? There could very well be. I know there's, you know, people that love to do RVs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And and certainly because of COVID, RV sales. Like RVs all over the world sold out, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aerostream. What was the one that you like? Airstream. Airstream, right. They came out with this cool home office situation. It was an Airstream. You had a, you know, an office, a, you know, a little kitchen, the whole thing. It would have been perfect for a home office or a, guess what, podcast studio. And we're thinking about something like that in North Carolina. Yeah, well, well here's a crafty thing. Well, I went to yeah. the website and I thought, well, I'll get one of these or at least Julie and I'll find some information out. They're out, they're sold out like the day after announcement for like two years. That's crazy. Okay, so there's a lot of people yeah. that are going to plan on changing their lifestyles, how they live because of the fact that their employers no longer going to expect them to show up to their cubicle. They can now work remotely because of connectivity. Yeah, so get this. One of our coaching clients, sick of dealing with no inventory, up to her eyeballs and buyers, has figured out a widget by which she, instead of selling them resale, having to compete all the time, is finding really cool lots, and they're doing container homes. So she's selling the lot instead of trying to bang her head into the wall trying to find a house. And she's figuring out how this is like a whole thing, the container. Have you home. seen some of those container homes? Really cool. They're really amazing. Yeah. I know. And then there's, you know, the tiny home thing. So people are getting that, crafty and selling land instead of selling houses. That tiny home thing, that can't last, just for the record, because, you know, they're, well, they're too small. Because <laughs> they're, you know, tiny. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as you basically go shopping a couple times, let alone go to Costco once, that's not so cute anymore. I know. But, I look at them all the time in magazines. And I'm like, isn't that cute? And I'm like. That's the size of a closet. That's a garden shed. It's a garden shed. Yeah. But the container homes are cool. But the other thing is these, um, what are they called? Uh, where they make them on site with uh, 3D printed yeah. homes. That's yeah. cool. Um, the, the other, uh, the uh, prefab homes, mm-hmm. there's so much new. Well, I get your point. So if you're out in California, for example, and you've lived up in near uh, Joshua Tree, and you've lived up near 29 Palms, and it's hotter in Hades, but man, it's beautiful there, especially in the winter. And there's vast amounts of land that's undeveloped. And this yep. is the same way. If you guys have ever flown over Nevada, or hell, how about this, East Texas, you look out the window, you're going to see nothing for more than you're going to see any sign of humanity. Yeah. Why aren't those areas being developed? Well, it's, there's lack of water. There's a lack of electricity. There's a lack of you know, connectivity. connectivity. So it, can we fix all those things? Yes, we can yep. with modern technology. So does that mean that hypothetically there's going to be new communities? How about this? What about like when Julie and I lived in Texas, we lived up north of Austin in Georgetown, and we could go driving for maybe a half hour in several different directions and come across all these forgotten about old towns from the 40s. It looked like old cowboy sets. They're amazing places. They still exist. Well, what's to prevent 
Um, what caused those places to go into recession? The railroad tracks passed them by, the local employer went away, blah, blah, blah. But now, what's going to prevent those towns from essentially finding life again? Absolutely. Nothing. And that's what they, so if you're living, you guys got to have to think expansively because those are the types of opportunities that a huge demographic yeah. um, increase in demand is going to cause. Those little washed up towns that no one even thinks twice of, you watch and mark your coach's word. In the next mm-hmm. 12, maybe maybe 36 to 48 months, those places are going to be in their own renaissance. And you're going to say, why didn't I listen to Tim and Julie? That's right. And we actually had this discussion, part of this discussion, on our Facebook Live session with our premier coaching clients today. That And we talked about it yesterday with regards to the buyer's agents struggling be more creative, okay? It, you know, your client or you may not have ever had that thought to, you know what, instead of, I've got to have Georgetown, I've got to have Georgetown, Texas. How about looking in Granger, Texas? Yeah. You know, there is stuff, and by the way, it's a lot more affordable. I mean. Is that uh, where that old town was yeah. we used to go to, Granger? There are several of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. So think out of the box, you know, expand your search by like a 10-mile radius, a 20-mile radius. Think about buying land and doing something cool with it. You've got lots more options, especially with these new technologies out. Everything. So I, and I think it's it's the buyer demand that's going to force agents into thinking bigger. I, well, I'll tell you Smart what's going to force agents to thinking bigger is the massive amount of agents getting in the business yeah. that are going to basically put downward pressure or going to put competitive pressures on the existing agents. Yeah. And the existing agents, just to stay in the business, are going to have mm-hmm. to start thinking a lot more competitively. And change their habits. And not just turn on the MLS. That's my point. Guys, there's going to be, in some markets, there's going to be a at least a three to four X increase in the number of real estate agents over the next 12 months. And uh, you don't have to look any further than uh, the Wall Street Journal article reporting on the same thing. And by the way, your humble podcast hosts were telling you this this wave of new agents started last year because we heard from all of our friends that own pre-licensing companies that they had seen a record number of uh, new agents. Well, what? They had nothing to do while they were locked in because, you know, COVID. Sure. So after they put on their COVID-19 and watched all the Netflix stuff, then what do they do? They all became agents and they're all taking their tests now. So please be competitive. But most importantly, and the point of today's podcast and tomorrow's podcast is do not believe the hype that there's a real estate crash anywhere on the horizon. And I, you know what? I didn't have this as a point. Oh, yeah, I did. It's, my, it's two points from now. So tomorrow we're going to talk about record equity, which was Julie's mm-hmm. thought. And we're also going to talk about forbearances, why they're not turning into defaults. You have to watch. Guys, there are people out there that are claiming that they have lists of uh, homes that are in uh, forbearance and that you're then te- supposed to somehow solicit those people and to try to convert them into a listing. Well, here's what I know for a fact. No lists exist. And if someone stole the information from a lender, they're breaking at least a federal law. So do not believe the hype. And even if you happen to have someone that's giving you that information, do not use it. Because here's a, I'll just foreshadow this. Virtually everyone in a forbearance is coming off their forbearance and they're making and they're making their payments again. All right. So there is no wave of foreclosures that are gonna happen. So stop believing the hype. And you hypesters out there, we are always gonna tell the truth and we're always gonna basically counter whatever you guys are trying to do to scare agents. Agents are our people and you cannot be selling them you know, I was about to say a bad word, but I won't. You cannot be selling them BS without expecting to be checked on it. So there it is. We're gonna pick up where we left off today, tomorrow. In the meantime, if you want to get hold of us for anything, you can always text me. I love your suggestions and ideas. It's 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. Guys, thank you for continuing to make this by far the number most listened to daily podcast for real estate agents in at least the United States. It's our honor and our true pleasure 
uh, to be in the position to have a positive influence on your business and your personal life. If there's ever anything we can do for you or when you're ready to take the next natural step and become one of our coaching clients, just go to timandjulieharris.com. Just go to timandjulieharris.com and check out what we're offering. There is a reason why we are consistently one of the top uh, real estate coaches in the world. It's because what we deliver helps people in their business and personal lives. Again, if you need me for anything, it's 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows, and until next time, Thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.